Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. We're going to be reading from John chapter 14 today. If you've got a Bible or a phone or a device, you can meet me there in John chapter 14. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1081 in that Bible. We are starting a new series where we're going to be for the next couple of months that we've called Another Helper, Getting to Know the Holy Spirit. And we're going to take some time uh, to look at what God's Word says about the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there's lots of uh, preconceived notions, there's lots of misunderstanding, there's lots of uh, even just lack of knowledge. And so we want to take some time to remedy some of that and get to know the Holy Spirit uh, through God's Word as we take some time to dig into the Scriptures. I got saved at age 18, and I had grown up in church, but I was just indifferent to God, indifferent to Jesus, indifferent to the Bible. Uh, My whole life, I was not walking with Him. There was sin in my life, and I wanted nothing to do with God. And then at 18, through various events and various people speaking into my life, uh, I all of a sudden became very aware of my sin, and very aware that I was not right with God, and very aware that uh, if I died, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And all of this really hit me. Uh, with what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. And and I just realized very clearly that I was not where I should be with God. And so uh, one night at my parents' house where I was living, I got on my knees in the basement of the home, uh, and I just began to call upon the Lord, what we just sang about. I began to cry out to God, and I began to ask for forgiveness and and repent and acknowledge my sin and uh, and just say, I want to know you, and I want to be right with you, and I want to be connected to you. And everyone's experience of coming to Jesus is a little bit differently, but for me, I I did have the proverbial, uh, you know, kind of rocks and weights lifted off my shoulder in that moment. And as I called upon God, I felt uh, what I can only describe as just kind of waves of of joy and waves of love and waves of peace just kind of washing over me. There was something divine going on in the room in that moment. And I didn't have the language for it or the understanding at the time, but I, I know now that that was the Holy Spirit that I was feeling. That as I called out to Jesus, the Holy Spirit was beginning to move in my life. And so I got to know Jesus for the first time that night, and I also met the Holy Spirit for the first time that night and began this journey of walking not just with Jesus, but with the Holy Spirit and and getting to know Him. And so we all have different experiences, and in this series, I am not in any way trying to push you towards uh, any experience, but uh, I am trying to push you towards the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is fully God, and we need Him desperately uh, in this walk with Jesus. When it comes to the Spirit, uh, it's a bit tricky because when we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, if you've been around church at all, you know that that is the, the Godhead, the Trinity, uh, all equally God and yet distinct from one another. And so the Father kind of makes sense, right? There's the Father in heaven, right? The old guy with the beard up on a cloud. Uh, we can kind of picture that, that God is up in heaven as our Father and he created us and he provides for us and he protects us and he watches over us. And, and that can kind of make sense for most people. And then Jesus, the Son, is actually even easier to get our hands on because Jesus was flesh and blood. Jesus was God made flesh. And so we see in the Bible where Jesus walked and talked and and how he lived and how he acted. And so it's kind of easier to get our head around Jesus. And that's part of the point of Jesus. Jesus makes God very clear to us. But when it comes to the spirit, it, it seems so much more abstract. Uh, it's a bit harder to wrap our heads around. And for some people, the Spirit uh, gets caught up. In the King James, he's called the Holy Ghost. And, and it's the word of the time uh, that kind of 
of made sense, but ghost has some implications for us, right, as a culture. So it's a bit tricky uh, to think of that word. But some people view the Holy Spirit as just that kind of mysterious, unknowable ghost. This the mysterious power of God. He's kind of out there and everywhere, and there's kind of a mystical quality to it, but we don't really understand or interact with it at all. Uh, some have taken on this idea of the Holy Spirit as kind of like the, for- the Force, this kind of Star Wars theology uh, kind of creeps in. This idea that there is this kind of divine power, and we don't really understand it. It's impersonal, and again, kind of unknowable, but there is this power at work. I've even heard pastors, you know, use terminology like the Spirit is like God's energy or God's electricity. Uh, it's God's force at work in the world, and the Spirit is that, but not an impersonal, vague, unknowable force. Some people have had some encounters with the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus. You've had moments in your life where you have have actually felt the presence of God or felt filled by the Spirit or felt especially close to Him, but it can come into sort of an oasis mentality, like there are once-in-a-while things that happen. I remember a powerful encounter I had 30 years ago at youth group uh, on a retreat, and it changed my life, and nothing's really happened since then, but that was great back then. And, and it can just be kind of a once-in-a-while thing. And, and that's where a lot of Christians land. And then a lot of Christians just land here. The Holy Spirit is a, is a concept. Uh, it's something we believe in, and we believe, you know, that he's real, and we believe what the Bible says. And when it comes to our, our, our statement of faith, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we'd say, yeah, I do believe. I believe because that's what the Bible says. But he really just stops there. He is a sort of a concept, a box that gets checked off, so we believe in him. But we don't really know him, and we don't really interact with him. Uh, And again, that's where we want to go further and deeper in this series. In the Old Testament, the prophet Joel says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so often in Scripture, there's this water metaphor that comes with the Holy Spirit. It'll be poured out upon you. You'll be baptized in the Spirit. Uh, as the Spirit moves in your life, then, then streams of living water are going to flow out of you as well. And there's these pictures of water. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit wasn't for everybody. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon a few. A few prophets and a few leaders, and the Spirit came upon just them. But in the last days, and that's where we are, and that doesn't mean we're coming to the end of time, although we might be, but in the last days, in the last covenant, there's no more promises or covenants to come. This is the last phase of the great God plan until Jesus returns, the age of the Spirit. In these last days, Jesus is going to come, he's going to die, he's going to raise from the dead, and then he's going to send his spirit. And when the spirit comes, it will be for anybody who wants it. When the spirit comes, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and anyone who wants the Holy Spirit can have him. And it's not going to be uh, partitioned by men or by women or old people or young people or rich people or poor people. The spirit will be for everybody. This is the promise of God given to us. And they said amen to that in the first service. The Holy Spirit comes for everybody, and there is a life in the Spirit that is available to us that is so precious that Jesus actually had to die to buy for us. Now, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, and the Pentecostal church, like any stream of the church, has strengths and weaknesses. One of their great strengths is their focus on the Holy Spirit. They do that so well. 
And as they focus on the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, that's what I grew up in, in, in church. And when I got saved, I was saved in a Pentecostal church, and I was baptized in a Pentecostal church, and I got called to ministry in a Pentecostal church, and I went to Pentecostal Bible College, and I got ordained as a Pentecostal minister, and I ministered in Pentecostal churches for my whole career until I came here, and I joined the Mennonite Brethren. And when I came here, there was more than a few of you who came to me, and you were a bit wary about the Pentecostal showing up in the Mennonite Brethren Church. And, and more than a few of you said, you know, we, your teaching's all right, but we don't want any of that weird stuff going on at Meadowbrook Church. Uh, and, and some preconceived ideas. And, and often when they say that, they mean, you know, we've heard that Pentecostals are yelling all the time and they roll around on the ground and they, we, they speak in tongues apparently and we don't want any of that here. And my response was always, well, don't, don't do that then if you don't want to do that. Don't, don't do that. Uh, and a lot of the, the stereotypes are just that. They're not actually true. They're just stereotypes or extremes, maybe, that kind of get picked up as fact. But when I was ministering as a Pentecostal pastor, when I was working on my master's degree, I went to uh, Tyndale in Toronto, where, uh, where Ben Clausen is right now. And that's an ecumenical school, which just means it's all different denominations. It wasn't Pentecostal. And so I was going through school, and I was hanging out with Baptists and Presbyterian and Reform and Anglican and Charismatic and just all different people from all different streams. It was amazing to see uh, what God is doing in all different ways. But a lot of them look down on Pentecostals, and they say, you Pentecostals, you think you're the only ones with the Holy Spirit. And I would say, I don't think that at all. And they would say, well, Pentecostals, it's not about the word for you. It's just about the experience. You just run from experience to experience. Right? You're just looking for the experience of the Spirit, and it's not about what the Bible says. And as to the Bible part, I disagree strongly. I don't know any Pentecostals who don't take God's Word very seriously. As to the experience thing, there might be some fairness in that accusation, that that is a mark of the Pentecostal church, and for all the strengths, there are weaknesses too. And Pentecostals maybe do have a tendency to kind of run from God experience to God experience. Uh, that's probably fair. But my pushback was always, and this is one of the reasons we have you reading the book of Acts right now as we go through this series together, is that when you read the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is meant to be experienced. He's not a theological concept. He's not just a, a vague, mysterious force. Like, he comes, and he fills, and he moves, and he speaks, and he leads, and he guides, and he works through, and he anoints, and he empowers. There's an experience to the Spirit that is so important, and, and so many don't walk in that at all. And so I understand the mentality that says, I don't want the weird stuff. Uh, I have absolutely no desire to make this a Pentecostal church. If I wanted to be in a Pentecostal church, I would have stayed in the Pentecostal church. So I have no desire to make this a Pentecostal church. I am incredibly interested in us being a spirit-filled and spirit-led church, because that's what the Bible calls us to be. And Jesus would say that's hugely important. So Father, we understand Son, we understand. Spirit, we need to understand more. Uh, and if Pentecostals can overemphasize the Holy Spirit, which is probably fair, uh, I, would, I would say it's just as fair to say almost everyone else in the body of Christ dramatically underemphasizes the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's just so often just a non-factor. He's, he's not sought out. Uh, we don't seek his filling. We're, we don't seek his leading. There might be a quick prayer that we include his name in, but there's not an encounter with him or a filling with him. Uh, and so I, I don't think we need to be one way or the other, but surely there's somewhere in the middle 
where we can avoid maybe some of the extremes of the Pentecostal movement and charismatic movement, uh, but not go to the other extreme of just living as if there is no Holy Spirit. Because there's a story in the book of Acts, and we haven't got there yet in our reading plan, but we will uh, in a few weeks. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is on a journey sharing the gospel. It says, Paul found some disciples, and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Uh, And don't get caught up on the tongues and prophecy. We're going to talk about gifts in one of these weeks. But here are people who are believers, right? They are disciples. They are believers in Jesus. And and it's a bit tricky. We don't know theologically exactly what's going on here, because there is elsewhere in Scripture that says actually you can't believe without the Holy Spirit uh, to some extent. But at the very least, we can agree here are people who are believers who just don't know the Spirit at all. They just don't have any relationship with the Holy Spirit or understanding of the Holy Spirit. So they have said yes to Jesus. They are disciples of Jesus. But, you know, do you have the Holy Spirit? I don't even know who that is. And I would just throw out there that I think many, many, many Christians, that would be a pretty fair uh, analysis of their walk with the Holy Spirit. I am a believer in Jesus? Absolutely. What about the Holy Spirit in your life? I don't really know the Holy Spirit. But good news if that's you. For the next two weeks or two months, we are going to dive into this so that you can get to know the Holy Spirit better. As I've been studying for this, uh, many authors made this comment uh, so much that it was almost a cliche as I was reading through different books. But they say, for most Christians uh, in the Western world, their trinity is much more made up of Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Where the scripture comes and and, and takes the place, replaces the Holy Spirit. Uh, And not that that we shouldn't have an extremely high and and valuable view of the Bible. uh, But it just, the Holy Spirit becomes such a non-factor that scripture kind of takes that place. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, uh, I mean, he breathed the Bible. He speaks to us through the Bible. uh, But he is God over the Bible. And when the Holy Spirit moves, there is a a sense of God's presence, and there's a sense of God's power, and there is is good fruit that comes. Uh, There is an ease to life when the Spirit shows up that we so easily forget. Uh, And it's such a common thing. Francis Chan wrote a book about it, and it's a great book if you want to go deeper. And he called his book Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. Again, we get the Father, we get the Son, but the Spirit, uh, either because we've said, I don't want the weird stuff, so we'll just shut it down, or whether it's just that we just don't know him that well or have never sought him, uh, the Spirit is just such a non-factor for so many of us. And it's a great book if you want to dig deeper into this topic. But let's look at what Jesus said. We're in John chapter 14. Uh, Let's see what he had to say about the Holy Spirit. John 14, and we're starting in verse 15. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now jump down to verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
Jesus would say more, but those will be our few verses today. This is all happening at the Last Supper. Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly life, and he is getting ready for the cross. The cross is coming the next day. And so it's his last time with his disciples, his last time to give his final teaching uh, before he goes to the cross, before he rises again. And as he's getting them ready, the beginning of John chapter 14 in your Bible probably says something like Jesus comforts his disciples or Jesus prepares his disciples. Jesus is getting them ready for the fact that he's about to leave them for good. He's going to die, he's going to rise again, and then he's going to stay with them a little while longer, but then he's returning to heaven. And so throughout this discourse, Jesus is telling them, uh, you know, the passages, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and my Father's mansion are many rooms, and he's getting them ready that he's going to heaven and is going to prepare a place for them. And so he's getting them ready for this, and they are understandably upset. They are grieved, right? They don't want Jesus to go. And in the midst of that grief, as he's telling them, I'm not going to be with you much longer, Jesus brings these comforting words where he says, it's actually going to be like I never left when the Spirit comes. And for all of us who, you know, we have ever said, hey, look, wouldn't it have been great to be there when Jesus walked this earth? Wouldn't it have been great to be there in that time and see Jesus face to face and witness the miracles and see what God face to face looks like? And Jesus says in this discourse, actually, it's better for me to go. The age of the Spirit is actually going to be better than the age when I walked on this earth. The age of the Spirit is actually better. Jesus says there's going to be better that comes for you because Jesus had some limits when he walked this earth. No limits in his power, but limits in the fact that he was just a man. He was one man. And so as one man, he could only be in one place at one time. Uh, God could be working miracles through the one man, but only one place at one time. And Jesus could also only be as close to you as another human being could be because he was flesh and blood. But when the Spirit comes, the Spirit can come into every person who wants it. So all that divine power can all of a sudden spread all over the world, all at once, all at the same time. And whereas Jesus could be as close as a face-to-face encounter with another human, God the Holy Spirit, being spirit, could actually come and make his home right inside of us. And God could live inside of us for the first time. And he could transform us from the inside out and make us a new creation for the first time. And he could renew our mind and renew our heart and fill us up with divine power from the inside. This had never happened before. So Jesus says the age of the Spirit is better, actually, than the time when Jesus walked this earth. And so Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's comforting his disciples. He says, I'm leaving you, but I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or another helper, maybe in your version, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, another name for the Holy Spirit. Another helper is coming. Help is on the way. You don't have to do this yourself. A helper is coming to come alongside you and walk through this life with you. And life is easier when you have a helper on your side. The Holy Spirit comes to help. And he's going to help you and he's going to be with you forever. If the Spirit is not helping us, then it's just us doing it on our own. We're doing it by our own efforts and our own strength. And listen, our own efforts and our own strength can go a long way. We can get a lot done all by ourselves, But the Holy Spirit comes to make life easier. He comes to do all the heavy lifting. He comes to do all of the work. Do you know you can't lead anyone to Jesus? Only the Holy Spirit can do that. The ministry that you're doing in your life, you don't make it powerful. The Holy Spirit moving through you makes it powerful. 
You can't change yourself. You can't even understand the Bible by yourself, Scripture says. The Holy Spirit has to do all of those things. And when we don't seek him, and when we don't seek to be filled, and we just do it because we're doing it, it becomes out of our own strength. And it's not that we can't get stuff done. It's just way harder. Why would you want to work that hard when there's a helper who's coming to make life easier for you? Life is easier when we have a helper. And that word helper is an interesting one, and we want to unpack it a little bit, because once in a while, I'm a Greek nerd, and the Greek nerd shows up in a sermon. That word that gets translated as helper, uh, the Greek parakletos, uh, often in English we call it the paraclete. And it's one of those words, because the Bible's written in Greek and in Hebrew, uh, they don't always translate perfectly into English, and so it's just, this is just one of those tricky words. So depending on your version, uh, the word for another uh, paraclete might get translated in yours as another helper, another advocate in the NIV, which we read today, or another counselor, or another comforter, or another intercessor, or maybe even something else, because the word just doesn't translate perfectly. Literally, the word means one who comes alongside to help. One who comes alongside you to help you. Uh, That's what the word literally means. So Jesus says, another one is coming who's going to come alongside you in life in order to help you. And uh, we use the picture in the first service of Krista Conrad. And uh, and afterwards, everyone's like, oh, apparently you're exactly like the Holy Spirit, Krista. Uh, And I said, don't get arrogant. You're just a woman. But I meant a person. I didn't mean a woman. Come on. You know where I stand on that issue. Another advocate, and Krista, as a social worker, uh, one of her jobs is to be a child advocate. And so when a child has to enter the court system uh, in in the county, uh, Krista will be assigned to them and come alongside them if there's a divorce or a custody dispute or something. And Krista's job is to come along the child's side and be on the child's side and fight for the child and guide the child through the process. If you can imagine being a kid and you're going through something terrible like a divorce and it's getting to the point where there's a court system and the courts are scary and judges are scary and lawyers are scary and you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how you're going to get there, it's okay because Krista's on the way. Krista's coming to come alongside you. And she knows what she's doing and she knows what's coming up and she knows how to navigate the system and she's going to be there with you the whole time to help you through this process. And that's, that's just a bit of a word picture uh, of what the Holy Spirit does. He comes to come alongside us. He comes to help us. And life is easier when you have a helper. Another part of that phrase, another helper, the word another is interesting and important as well. We can skip over this because in the English, we only have one word for another. We only have one word, uh, and, and it applies to any situation. But in the Greek, they have a few different words for another. One is heteros, and it means another that is different. Uh, it's where we get our word heterosexual. You are attracted to the sex that is different than your own. Uh, so it means another, but it's distinct and different from the first one. And so in a context, that would be like saying, you can get to work by driving your car, but another method of transportation is a bicycle. It's another thing that's different. But there's another Greek word uh, for another, uh, it's in another a lot, another Greek word for another, and that's alos, and it means another that is just like the first. So in context, we'd be like saying we have pizza, and then we got another pizza. Uh, It is the same thing. It is another that is the same. And when Jesus says another helper, this is the another that he's using. He's saying another helper is coming just like the first one. Who's the first one? Jesus, right. Sunday school, the answer is always Jesus. Another helper like the first one is coming. Another one like me, Jesus is saying. 
And so that's where it's saying Jesus is comforting his disciples. He's saying, I'm leaving you, but it's not actually going to be like I'm leaving you because another just like me is coming, and he's going to keep doing everything that I've been doing. Another like the first is coming. Jesus would go on at the beginning of Acts. We read this this week in Acts chapter 1. He's died. He's risen from the dead. He's about to go back to heaven. And then he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. The Holy Spirit is the gift that is given to us. Wait for the gift, which you've heard me speak of. For John baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, don't you dare try to do this by yourself. Don't you dare try to do it on your own. You go to Jerusalem, and you sit on your butts, and you wait until the Spirit shows up. And when the Spirit shows up, then you get to work. And it goes against our drive. It definitely goes against the Mennonite mentality for sure, right? Like, let's build a barn. Let's do it. Let's get it done. Let's work at it. Let's make it happen. I love the work ethic here. It's amazing. The Pentecostal error is, we'll just wait for the Spirit and won't do anything uh, if we go too far. The Mennonite error might be, we'll do everything, and we might not wait for the Spirit, because we can do it by ourselves. Errors on both sides. But Jesus says, don't do a thing. You sit and you wait. So for 10 days, they go and they pray. They do nothing but pray for 10 days. They pray and they wait, and 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 then the Spirit shows up, and Peter stands up, and 3,000 people get saved right there. Not because Peter's great. I don't know if you read his sermon this week, if we, you were in the reading plan. Like, it's the least seeker-sensitive, it's the least respectful. He stands up and says, you guys killed Jesus, but that's okay because he's alive again. And 3,000 people go, wow, something profound shifts in their life. Not because the speech was that great, but because the power of the Holy Spirit was there. They waited and prayed, and they didn't do a thing until the Holy Spirit showed up and led them in what to do. When the filling came, it overflowed in words for Peter, and out of that overflow, 3,000 people get to know Jesus uh, that day. And I get a bit wary sometimes just of the way we do church and, and the way it happens in the West. And um, my whole career, it's always, here's the latest book. Here's the latest conference. Here's the latest teaching. Here's the latest church growth model. You know, here's a leadership conference over here. Here's a book about how to grow your church over there. Here's a blog about a thriving children's ministry. And, like, it's, it's all good. It's not that it's not good stuff. But if all we're doing is following other people's principles, we might not be following the Holy Spirit. Because I just believe the Holy Spirit is infinitely creative. And, and it's not that we can't learn from other people. And there is no need to reinvent the wheel. But at the same time, if all we're doing is saying that principle works over there, let's copy it without doing the 10 days of prayer and without waiting on the Holy Spirit, what happens is we just start duplicating things that are completely divorced from the presence and power of God. Where are the 3,000 getting saved at Meadowbrook Church? Where's the Holy Spirit moving in your life with power? Where are we seeing miracles? Where are we seeing dramatic prayers answered? It can't happen apart from the Holy Spirit. It can't happen if we're just seeking principles, uh, even biblical principles, because the Holy Spirit is God. And that's where I get a bit nervous. Sometimes you encounter Christians who just say, you know what, I don't need it. I don't need any of that. Like, I'm, I'm good. I love Jesus. I have the Bible. I know the Holy Spirit's in me, and that's really all I need. And I would just push back. That's not really what Jesus seems to say. Jesus seems to say, you need to be filled. You need to be baptized. You need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, 
life is going to get so much easier, right? Peter doesn't logic 3,000 people into the kingdom of God. He doesn't argue them into the kingdom of God. Out of the overflow of the Spirit in his life, he speaks, and the Spirit does the rest because he's the helper, and life is easier when you have a helper. The Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting, and we just need to be faithful. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, he shows up not as a force and not as, a, as an impersonal, uh, you know, electricity or energy. Like, it is the person of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He has a will. He has a mind. He can be grieved. Scripture says he can be quenched like a fire. We can shut him down in our lives. He moves. He speaks. Like, all of the aspects of personality show up. It's not an it. It's a him. And I want to know him better. I want to see him moving in my life more and more. And when we don't have that, then it's just us. And when it's just us, it's just so much work. Do you know how much easier it is to walk with Jesus when it's out of the overflow of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you know how much easier it is to pray? It, does, it's, it stops being a chore or a religious exercise when it's out of the overflow of the Spirit in your life. You know how much easier it is to read your Bible and understand it when it's out of the overflow of the Spirit in your life? Because he makes the words jump off the page. He makes the words pierce your heart and renew your mind. Do you know how much easier it is to overcome your sin? Like, self-discipline only goes so far because our strength always runs out. But you know how much easier it is to walk in righteousness when it's out of the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives? you know how much easier ministry is when it's out of the overflow of the Spirit in your life? Do you know how much easier it is to walk in peace and joy and faith when it's out of the flow of the Spirit in your lives? How much easier it is to be a parent? How much easier it is to be a spouse and a friend? How much easier your workplace becomes when the Spirit is flowing in your life? If you read the, the reading plan with us, I, what jumped out at me this week was just the joy in the early church. Just, they're filled with the Spirit. They're filled with joy. They're being persecuted for the name of Jesus. They're filled with joy. And it's not because life was amazing. It's not the joy of, hey, I love my kids and they make me happy. It was in the midst of circumstance, in spite of terrible circumstances, there is joy because the Spirit is filling them with joy as they go about their lives. Life is so much easier when we have a helper Jesus said, you know him, you know the Spirit, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And it's interesting. This is Jesus uh, declaring his oneness with the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit are all one. And this is Jesus saying exactly that. He says, you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, they don't know him yet in John. It's not Acts yet. The day of Pentecost hasn't happened. They haven't encountered the Spirit yet. But Jesus says, you know him already, right? He lives with you. Well, how does that work? Well, because Jesus is saying, it's going to be me, right? You know me. And so you're going to know the Spirit. And I live with you now, but the Spirit's actually going to live in you. And I'm not leaving you as orphans. You're not going to be abandoned. Guys, you're not going to miss me when the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be like I never left. How many of us can say we walk with the Spirit to that level of intimacy where it's as good as a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus? I want more. I want more of it. And, and I worry sometimes in, in my life and sometimes in the life of, of churches and Christians, when we stop getting hungry for the things of God. Bill Johnson says, when your body, when you stop getting hungry, like Matthew was sick this week and he stopped eating. 
Like when a kid stops eating, that's when you know something's wrong, right? Like that's when you go, huh, my kid has a healthy appetite. So when he stops eating, when he's not hungry, that's a sure sign that he's actually sick. He's not whining. That's legitimate. And I think spiritually, when we stop getting hungry for more things, when we stop getting hungry for more of the word, when we stop getting hungry to be more like Jesus, when we stop getting hungry for the lost, that's a sign maybe that something's not quite right. Because naturally we hunger for things that sustain us. Naturally we want more. I want more of the Holy Spirit. You know him, Jesus says, because he's me. Jesus is God in human form. The Spirit is God in spiritual form. And he's going to come and he's going to make his home. And he's going to make life easier because life is easier when you have a helper. The helper comes to do the heavy lifting for us in our life. In verse 26, Jesus says, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And we'll remind you of everything I've said to you. And Jesus would unpack this more in John 16 as well. But what he's saying is the Spirit's going to continue the ministry that Jesus started. Right? Jesus is saying, where I have been your leader, the Spirit will now be your leader. Where I have been your guide, the Spirit will now guide you. Where I have been your teacher, the Spirit will now teach you. While I have worked miracles, the Spirit will now work miracles. And he will do it through you guys this time. That in the Spirit, you will have everything you need, and it's going to be like Jesus never left. That's how powerful the age of the Spirit is. And life is just easier with a helper. And as we use that word helper, don't misunderstand that to mean servant uh, or less than. Because the Holy Spirit is fully God. Right? We read about Ananias and Sapphira this week. Ask them when you get to heaven how that went for them, right? The Holy Spirit is fully God, and he, and he comes to help, but that does not mean he's less than or a servant. He is Lord. And so we don't ever want to treat lightly or take for granted or, or be dismissive of the Spirit. Some people, I think, have a mentality that the Holy Spirit is less than the Father or the Son. Uh, absolutely not. The Spirit is fully God. Jesus said, it's, it's me in a different form, coming to be with you and coming to fill you, and, and the fullness of God the fullness of God is actually going to come live right inside you. God's going to come and make his home right here. It's a big deal. That's a big deal that we sort of, eh, I know, I know. No, like God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, creator of the universe, savior of the world, has said, I will dwell inside you. And you will be filled with the Spirit, and it will overflow in your lives, and you will be full of faith, and you'll be full of love, and you'll be full of peace, and you'll be full of joy. You'll be full of God's presence. You'll be full of God's power. You will have everything you need to live out this Christian walk. It's going to be easier as you do that, because life is easier when you have a helper. And when you read the book of Acts, it's not that life is actually easy. I mean, they go through trials. They go through persecution. Those things, those things don't disappear, but it doesn't matter when they go through them, because the Spirit changes them and fills them with joy anyway. It's like, I could get through any trial if I feel happy in the middle of it. And there's a joy there that shouldn't be there, but it's there because God is giving it. The fullness of God has come to make our life easier. We're just about done, and this was just an introduction today, and we're going to get into deeper stuff later. Lots of questions come up. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca, and it is uh, where you send something. If you have a question or a comment or, or want to follow up, I'm happy to have coffee with anybody as we talk about it. But the Bible says this in Ephesians 5.18, Be filled with the Spirit. And if you're a, a grammar nerd or a language nerd, uh, that's the passive present imperative, if you care. Uh, and what that means is imperative means it's a commandment. 
Passive means it's done to us, right? We are filled with the Spirit. We don't fill ourselves. God comes and fills us. Uh, and then the, the present means that it is continually ongoing. Uh, a better translation, almost every scholar says, would be be continually filled with the Spirit. Keep coming back. Keep being refilled. The picture of gas in a car uh, is a good picture of that. You don't just fill up your car when you buy it and then you're good for life. You got to keep going back and getting refilled. And, and that's what Paul says it's like with the Spirit. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. The day of Pentecost is this incredible outpouring of the Spirit. And then a couple chapters later, they go back again and get refilled. And then later they go back again and get refilled. It's not a one-time thing. Uh, and I don't want us getting hung up on the language of baptism or filling or whatever. They just keep going back for more is the point. They keep going back for more. And they keep going back for more. And they keep going back for more. And if they, the apostles, kept going back for more, I'm not better than they are in this Christian walk. If they thought that was a good idea, then it was probably a good idea. So this is the picture of what we're talking about. Natalie's going to come help me for a sec. This is us, followers of Jesus. We've got some Holy Spirit in us because we can't believe without the Holy Spirit. But be continually filled Scripture says. So we come on a Sunday. We have a good worship time. We get filled up. It feels pretty good. And sometimes that starts to dissipate, not because God's leaving, but just because life happens and we get busy and distracted. But what the Bible's talking about is not, you know, let it run out and come back and get filled to the top. The Bible says, be filled and let it flow. And out of that overflow of God moving in your life, there will be joy and there will be peace and there will be his presence and there will be his power. The Spirit moves in, the Spirit moves out, and is the source of everything that we need. And then we don't feel as dry. Thanks, Natalie. Right? We don't feel as disconnected. We don't feel as lost because His Spirit is constantly moving and constantly filling and constantly helping. And it starts just with asking. And, and that's all we're doing today. Just a bit of an introduction like, are you willing to pray the prayer, come Holy Spirit? Are you willing to say, fill me up? And I'm not looking for any specific reaction or, or gift or anything, but just, Holy Spirit, you're God. Will you come? Will you fill me up? And, and seeking that and continuing to seek that. And we'll get into more stuff later. But before we go, uh, we're going to sing that song we just sang, Call Upon the Lord. Because when you read the book of Acts, that's so evident that they call upon God over and over and over again. And the Holy Spirit comes over and over and over again. So will you stand with me as we get ready to close and as we sing this song? Jesus gives us freedom. And the Holy Spirit gives us freedom as well. You know, when I was younger in my faith, I put the Holy Spirit in a box. And I put him there because I was kind of afraid and didn't really understand the Holy Spirit. As I've grown in my faith and understanding who the Holy Spirit more is in my life, I've allowed the Holy Spirit to come out of my box and say, Holy Spirit, do what you need to do in my life. See, I don't have it all together, but the Holy Spirit helps me. The Holy Spirit helps me become a deeper follower of Christ, a better father, a better husband, a better friend in many ways. And that's because the Spirit changes us from the inside out. We talk about shackles in our lives. Many of us walk around with these shackles that hold us down. We live in bondage. I've been there. But God and the Holy Spirit has released me mightily because of who he is. And we would encourage you the same way. If you're living in shackles, you don't need to live those. You don't need to carry the weight or the burden of that. Allow the Holy Spirit to be free in your life. Give him that burden and see what the Holy Spirit can do. See, I believe the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Chris talked about, is an advocate and wants to come alongside to change us, to empower us, 
to change his kingdom, and to change his world for his sake. So friends, we, as we come together to church, recognize this as you go into your week. The Holy Spirit is alive and active. Open up your arms and your heart and see what the Holy Spirit can do in and through you when you take him, like I've done, out of the box I put him in. And let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the advocate the Holy Spirit is. Thank you that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And God, if we don't fully understand what that means, I pray through the wisdom you give us, you'd show us. And I pray that we would know the power of your Spirit in our lives. Jesus, I pray against the shackles that hold us down. I pray for freedom in Jesus' name, that we'd walk upright to know that you're with us in this battle. And so, God, as we come together as a church, as we enter this week ahead of us, I pray your Holy Spirit would meet us and change us and speak to us through your word, through dreams, through visions. And not a scary way, Lord, because the Holy Spirit is not scary, but help us to understand the depth of love that the Holy Spirit has for us. And Jesus, that we don't need to live in shackles no more. Thank you that you have risen and we can rise up as a church and as a people. And for those who are seeking you out and trying to figure out who you are, Jesus, I pray your Holy Spirit would draw near to them and whisper in their heart that you love them and they can confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are Lord and they will be saved. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've come this morning and you need somebody to pray with or talk to, some of us will be available up front. Have a great Sunday.